it is beginning to creep up. And uh, I noticed yesterday on the newscast, three non-presidential candidates made it clear that they are not running for the presidency. In spite of the obvious fact, no one asked them. Three of them held press conferences and announced that without any equivocation, they are interested in the work, the great work that they have laid out for themselves in the great sovereign state of Sylvania, and that under no circumstances am I, nor will I, nor have I ever run for the office of the presidency of the United States, and I want that made clear. I want that carried to all corners of the civilized world. I am interested only in the great work that lies ahead of me, the work that has been placed in my hands, the great trust of the peoples of the state, sovereign state of Sylvania. And for that reason, I am making it very clear now, in spite of the talk that there has been in certain circles that they are going to draft me at the 1964 presidential nominating convention of the great sovereign party of the Republicans, that I am not available. I am absolutely not running. Not running, you hear? Hey, you in the back there, get that notebook going. I, J. Wellington Witherspoon, am not running for the presidency. Mm-mm. The name is J. Wellington Witherspoon. I want you to know that. Not running for the office of the presidency of the United States. That office again is the presidency of the United States. Me, now, no, no, not me. That's right, I am not running. And even as he is saying that, Far maybe 500 miles away, another candidate is saying, and I am taking this opportunity to clear the record that my work here in the great sovereign state of New York is of such import that I want it made very clear that I am not running, nor have I contemplated at any time in my career for the office of the presidency of the United States. J. Cheever Loophole. Here, I want it clearly understood, is not running for the office of the presidency of the United States. Ever, ever will I be... Oh, now, watch me. Don't watch that disc. You've seen records before. Now, put your hand on it and hold it there. Okay. <laughs> now, you know, this... This. Uh, this now, I, I said, well, watch me, not the record. I don't care what comes on. It doesn't matter. That isn't what's important on this program. This is not the John Gambling program. We, we're not worried about whether the Norman Luboff Choir comes up instead of the, the instead of the Percy Faith Orchestra. It doesn't really worry us here. Uh, but you know, this this is getting to be very interesting. This 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 ritual. Uh, I, I can think of three guys who have just announced that they're not running. Barry Goldwater has announced he's not running. Uh, this guy out in Michigan, uh, what's his name, Romney? He's not running. Absolutely not running. I'm relieved at that one. Uh, and and uh, there have been even implications that Mr. Rockefeller is not running. Now, I feel very good about that. I'm curious, though, who is running now? I'm just curious. Well, I'll, I, I'd like to go on record right now, in spite of the fact there's been some obvious talk down around Bleecker Street, that Shepard is also not running for the presidency of the United States. And I'm also going to take it on my back right now to say that Jules Pfeiffer is not running either. Now, uh, I, I know that Pfeiffer hasn't said it yet, but he will come out, I'm sure. Neither one of us are in favor of running. And I, I, have, I, I feel that my great sovereign work here has entrusted in me by the great peoples of Staten Island, Staten Island and parts of Queens and also uh, certain communities in, uh, in uh, southern uh, New Jersey. My work is such that I have no interest in anything else other than that. 
What do you got there? That thing is skipping. Well, then just set it in a little bit. Just, 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 just You don't have to cue it up, Walt. Just set it in a little bit. That's all. It's very easy. Terrible. I used to be an engineer, you know. You know, well, anyway, the hogwash is getting higher and higher. It's getting, getting deeper and deeper as we go further into our life. Now, for example, speaking of hogwash, uh, since the newspaper strike, I'm sure that a lot of us have been compelled, since many of us are compulsive readers, I happen to be one, <laughs> we have been compelled to read all kinds of stuff that we wouldn't ordinarily be reading. I have read the backs of Castoria bottles. I have read, uh, I have read labels on the bottoms of Prestone cans, Walt, just sitting there quietly reading them. I have read, I have read uh, horse sheets, what's running at Hialeah. I have no interest at all in horses running in Hialeah, but I've sat there by the hour and gone down, just, just read all those names. And, and, and for that reason, I have read a lot of magazines, which I ordinarily would not read. For example, there's one magazine which uh, just came out, speaking of that stuff that's creeping in through the underneath the, underneath the doors and it's coming in over the windows and all that stuff. Uh, tell them you don't have time to argue with them. Write a letter, dear. We can't hold up the line for sore heads. If you're a sore head, write a letter. Don't call. We're not interested. All right, <laughs> and I'm not being un-American. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, it's interesting that it is becoming un-American to speak your mind. Have you noticed that? Very interesting. That's fascinating. Uh, somebody pointed out in uh, one of the recent magazines, I think it was the reporter. No, by George, it was not the reporter. What was it that I was reading? Oh, Punch, Punch magazine. They're having that trouble over there, too, you know. They say that there must be a compact little group of protesters who, the minute anything is said that has any substance at all on any public medium, radio or television, they immediately call and protest. <laughs> Does this outfit is, is far more organized than any other organization that we happen to have in our midst today. And they always protest in the name of right. Of course, they, they know what's right, and uh, whatever it is they're against is wrong, obviously. Uh, so, so please write your angry letters. Please do not call because uh, I'm not going to stop everything and get on the phone and argue with a with a, with a with a 74 year old man with the mind of a 12 year old living out in Staten Island. I am not interested. <laughs> I would like to pretend that I am, but I am not. Okay, all right. Now, getting back to the uh, the problem at hand, I inadvertently I picked up a copy of a magazine. Uh, this this magazine, which I don't ordinarily read. It, it, it's one of these magazines that, that takes a dynamic attitude towards sport. It's really a magazine for people who hate sports, but who like to read about sports for some reason or other, but only very obliquely, or obliquely, as they say in the Army. For example, they would be much more interested in, uh, let's say, uh, Joe DiMaggio's Foulard tie collection than in his batting average. They're much more interested in that. It's that kind of a thing that says, what, what kind of a Welch, Welch rare bit does Willie Mays really serve after the games to his intimates? The recipe will be found in a special four-color fold-out in this uh, fantastic sports magazine. You know that kind of thing? Uh, you know that kind of sports magazine. Well, well they, had a, they had a recent issue which inadvertently fell into my hands, and it gives you the idea of the kind of dynamic glop that's around, called Special Issue. Special Issue. The special underdog issue. Who among us does not feel that he's an underdog? Well, I would like to suggest uh, almost the enormity of the glop that's among us. Can you imagine who this magazine relegates to the underdog category? 
Get ready with that bombastic movie, uh, that fantastic music in there, Walt. I'll set with it now. I'll give you the cue there. Here is their underdog number one, Wilt Chamberlain. Yes, Wilt Chamberlain. That's roughly tantamount to calling uh, King Kong an underdog. It really is. I mean, <laughs> underdog. You want to hear another, another one of their definitions of an underdog? Another great underdog of our time. And uh, uh, I'll even read to you the way he's described. Underdog number two, Stan the Man Musial, a man against time, his personal and often agonizing war. Stan the Man Musial, one of the great underdogs of our world. Fantastic. I mean, my George, you know, that to, to all of us who are, you know, all of us fighting that underdog war, that kind of fits. I'll show you another example of one of their great underdogs. I don't know whether you know anything about this guy, but this guy really fits the underdog role. Underdog! Eddie Matthews, hard-hitting, slugging ball player for the Milwaukee Braves. Walt, don't use that thing. That's skipping all over the place. Just pick any. No, no. Just take it off, Walt. Just take it off. That. That's going to hold us all up now. Now here, just flip it over, Walt, and see if you can find uh, Le Prelude. That's good enough. All right. That'll give you something to do for the next twenty minutes. Now, while we're involved in problems, we have here uh, WORAM with FM New York. And uh, speaking of glop, now now uh, they they have a whole whole list of these wonderful underdogs, all of whom uh, you know make you feel kind of sad. I here here's another favorite under well, Walt. Just any cut then, any cut Walt, because that'll that'll take you all the way through next week. I'm afraid it's uh, just any loud one, loud one. That's just any loud one. And if it comes up with the voices of spring, I'll belt you in those glasses of yours, in spite of the fact you read Durell. All right, let me, just let me cue it. Let me audition it. Let's see what you think is loud. No, no, no. Kill it, kill it. All right, forget it. Forget it, Walt. Forget it. I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> Take it off the turntable, will you? For crying out loud. There we go. No, no, what are you giving them now? All right, all right. To put that down because we're, we're, all, we're liable to be... Now, oh, well, no, you can put that back on, Walt. Put that back on. Yes, that. All right, that. Now, why can't one of you just look on the list? Why do you all stand there and look at me with that wonderful open-faced smile of those who have been weaned on Pablum? Look through there and find Le Prelude. It's even marked in red. Find it. It's the last cut on one of those sides. Don't look so, so, uh, so confused. There, did you find it? Well, bring it in here, honey. I'll find it in 30 seconds. Come on, quick! Come on, get up and bring it in. Don't just sit there. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Move, move. If you're going to be on the stage, you got to learn how to walk fast, right across the stage. Why? Why is it the first one I find? It right there. See? Spelled out there in clear English. Okay? Take it out. Come on, come on, move. Don't stand there and look at me. Move, move, move. Time is moving on. So many people don't even know how to walk across the street. They sort of wander through life. Move! No, do it. When you're here, you do it, whether you like it or not. Okay, I'll set now. All right, now you just hold that in bearance there. Here is another one of the great underdogs of our time. Now, I, I want to go, go in a little further than, and say this, that, that there is a thing sweeping through. I, I notice it sweeping through our world, and it's a kind of, in a sense, it is the pure quintessence of George Orwell. Now, don't write that down, pure quintessence of George Orwell. It is the quintessence of Orwell in this sense 
Uh, probably most of you are familiar with 1984. Well, one of the one of the precepts in 1984 in the in the novel by Orwell, and it has many flaws, but it also has some wildly prophetic, interesting things that are coming about even in our time, is that in the brave new world, to use a Huxleyan term, uh, of the 20th century, there will come about the total reversal of language and, in a sense, values, and so. Uh, Orwell had, he spelled it out, he had uh, big slogans on the walls of the buildings in the country that was his hypothetical country in 1984. Uh, war is love. War is peace, rather. He had a big thing that said, war is peace. Another big slogan he said uh, was, was uh, hate is love. Uh, and, and a lot of people, of course, laughed at this, thinking that what he was talking about would be and should be literal. No, it will never be called love is hate and war is peace, literally. But to call Stan Musial an underdog is pure Orwell, pure Orwellian concept, a pure Orwellian concept. Now look up underdog. Has any, have, any of you got a, uh, have any of you got a dictionary out there? Look up underdog, please. Look up underdog. I would like to have the dictionary definition of underdog. Now this, to me, is, is the kind of creeping uh, decay of the language that in the end we'll be able to describe, uh, oh, it'll be able to describe, say, say uh, oh, it'll be able to describe a mouse as an elephant. If you can describe Stan Musial as an underdog, it's just as easy to describe a mouse as an elephant. In fact, they'll probably have more in common a mouse with an elephant than Stan Musial has with underdogs. <laughs> Does anybody have a, def a dictionary? I'd love to have the definition of it. I don't know what the actual... Here's another one. Here's another great underdog of our time. Ernie Banks. Do you know anything about Ernie Banks? Ernie Banks is one of the hardest-hitting shortstops that ever played in the National League. Ernie Banks has been a terror of National League pitchers for probably ten years. An underdog. An underdog. Ernie Banks is probably six feet three. He probably he's built like a wedge. I've seen him play many times. He's a magnificent human being. Uh, and, and he has one of the most beautifully controlled natural swings that I've ever seen in a ballpark. An underdog. It's pure Orwell. Absolutely pure Orwell. And and uh, this this is a fascinating a fascinating uh, development in our time, and, and yet it, it's going—it's going all over. It, it, it's slowly beginning to creep in. And so today, a uh, a comic, uh, a comic can speak, or a or a novelist often, that every word he speaks can be pure hate, can be pure hate, hate for this group, hate for that attitude, hate for this uh, this system, hate for that, pure hate all the way down the line. And yet, somehow, his hate is transformed by some beautiful alchemy of uh, semantical magic, of forensic, uh, uh, forensic wizardry. It's converted into love. Fascinating. I've seen this time and again. I, I, know, I know one guy who's considered a loving human being who, who, spends, his, who spends his time uh, stabbing his wife with a, <laughs> with, a, with a long, thin rapier. 
It's fascinating. And yet, does anyone have that definition? Give me the definition. Just sit there. Lay it down and bring it in. Don't, don't worry about it. Just lay it down bring it in. That's all. Okay, now. Hey, what is dynamic people here. Uh, but never look. Come on, bring it in. Don't sit there and talk about it. Just lay it down. Don't hang up. Lay it down. Hey. Hello. Lay it down. Bring it in. No, not hang up. Lay it down so they can't ring it again. Hey, smartness is coming through. Come on, bring it in. All right, we forget it then. So, so here's another example of that stuff. I don't know what's with my people here tonight. They're all knee-deep in mud or whatever it is that I'm talking about. Uh, we, we have Here's another example of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Another magazine uh, recently, and they, they, they innocently sent me a copy of their magazine, uh, are doing an entire issue on New York. Well, you know that, that whenever a magazine is having trouble thinking of ideas for its next issue, it does a New York issue. Uh, every magazine has done a New York issue in the last three months. I don't care whatever magazine. Undoubtedly, the Police Gazette has, too. I'm not, uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'll bet it has. Always, when, you're out of, when you run out of uh, things, it's, uh, you, you do the New York issue. You, you get out all, all the pictures of the new buildings. Well, now, here's another example of, or or of Orwell in dynamic motion. To look at this article, the issue, New York is growing beautifuler and beautifuler and beautifuler every day, uh, to use... Uh, a 19th century there. You finally got it written out? Ah, good. It didn't take more than 20 minutes. There, very good, very good, very good. Uh, the New York, New York is getting prettier every day. And yet, anyone who lives in New York knows this is, this is uh, diametrically opposed to the truth. That, uh, that the new buildings that are being built in New York are, for the most part, like, as alike as the proverbial peas in a pod with far less personality than those peas in the proverbial pot. They look like, most of them look like they've been put up by the Erector Set Company, and they're built to be taken down by next Christmas when the new big whoopee package will be open. Uh, and, and, and most of the guys who live in these office buildings have said on one occasion or another, one, they leak, they're drafty, they're impersonal, the light is bad, they creak in the wind, and, and et cetera on down the line. But this article comes out and it makes it sound so, it's just one big beautiful sheet of lovely green glass that we're all living in and it's fantastic. Pure Orwell. In spite of the fact that these guys know that's not true because they're living in one of these buildings, you know. Fantastic. I can't understand it. Well, maybe I can because behind almost every big article in every magazine there lies the fine hand of the press agent and the fine hand of some pressure group of one kind or another. I'm, I'm afraid that uh, this is uh, pretty nearly true. Uh, particularly, and, and you know, very few, very few uh, people say much about people. In other words, I, I, don't, I don't know of any organized group of just ordinary people, you know. Well, what are you going to organize? You're just there. You're just walking around scratching. Well, let me tell you, the real estate organization has an organization, Daddy. I'll tell you that. Uh, and and uh, various other big organizations that have a vested interest in knocking down the city and putting up, uh, putting up uh, ridiculous uh, office buildings, one thing or another, they have pressure, and they can, they can wield it. So, so I, I'm curious about this kind of Orwellian thing. 
Here's another example of, of uh, in a way, the Orwellian technique in action. Uh, a little ad, a little ad that popped out uh, out of one of the old newspapers that I have banging around. It's an old magazine, as a matter of fact. Are you ready with something really bombastic in there, Eddie? Listen to this one. The, the uh, thing leads off with this comment. Parables in Bible show way to get rich. Oh, the voices of spring. What happened to La Prelude? What's the matter with you guys? Boy, oh boy, I'm going to wing this right from right down. Hang up the phone. Help, help. Voices of spring. Boy, oh boy, why don't you just lay that phone down and watch the program? No, lay it down. It's going to keep ringing. Just lay it down. Tell them to quit fooling. There we go. All right, hold it up there. Boy, we're really going. Oh, my. Well, anyway, uh, parables in Bible show a way to get rich. Now, this, this is another example of Orwellian technique. Uh, humility equals dynamism. That's another kind of, uh, another kind of Orwellian technique that, that I think should be illustrated. Uh, one of the most interesting kinds of, of, uh, of the reversal of values is the value of taking the old Christian concept and, in fact, the, uh, the basic religious concept of, uh, well, I suppose you can say, uh, can be oversimplified, but let's put it this way, of uh, sacrifice, of... Uh, selflessness of uh, well uh, even the, probably the very reverse of avariciousness and converting it into the opposite camp now here's here's a lovely here's a lovely headline that's taken from uh, another one of the dynamic magazines listen to this one at last an inspirational film for salesmen Featuring Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. What it takes to be a real salesman is no ordinary motion picture. It is in a class by itself. Inspirational, stimulating, a real morale booster for both your new and veteran salesman. The film's inherent philosophy of positive thinking, as presented by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, one of the foremost inspirationalists of our time, is great insurance to ward off the sales spin that strikes even the best of salesmen. A truly dynamic motion picture for salesmen that tells in positive terms what it takes to be a real salesman. Yes, put religion to work. Watch that sales chart climb, climb, climb. Wowee. And, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just intrigued by, uh, by that uh, reversal of values. Uh, values that... Uh, and that's all that Orwell was talking about. Orwell said that the day will come when, when the language and the attitudes will be so... so turned, will be so converted that when one says democracy, what he really means is totalitarianism. Uh, when one says love, what he really means is kill everybody. 
And it, it is rapidly coming about. It literally is. Uh, if Stan Musial is an underdog, Dad, uh, oh, I would like to, I would like to uh, give you the definition of the underdog, which was taken from one of the unabridged dictionary. Loser in any struggle, especially the victim of social injustice, the losing dog in a fight. Now, doesn't that describe Stan Musial to a T? To a T. <laughs> And certainly that describes, I can't think of anybody that it describes more clearly and completely than Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain, who only averaged 50.5 buckets last year in the hardest, toughest professional basketball league in the world. A pure underdog. Now this, this, uh, this, even though what it seems it seems that what I'm saying here and the definitions and the examples I'm given are giving you are trivial. They are anything but. Uh, if, we, if we have lost control of our language and our values to such a point uh, where we can describe, say, uh, Stan Musial as an underdog, then how can we describe a man who is not an underdog? You see what I'm saying there? The language means very little there in that case. Uh, if we can describe the new jerry-built buildings that are going up all over town in New York City, generally overpriced, badly built, they're designed to last maybe four or five years at the most, uh, if we can describe them as beauty, how, how can we describe ugliness then? Interesting. Uh, if we describe an automobile, for example, that, uh, that is so badly built that in 18 months it is ready to be traded in because it is literally worn out, if we describe that as a functional concept, which has often been done, how then can we describe non-function? Just, just, uh, just, uh, just a question, you see. Uh, if we if we take a a comic who is uh, perpetually selling uh, hate for large numbers of people and describe that as love, how then can we describe hate? Just just a, just a, this is just a forensic question here. Uh, curious, uh, but nevertheless, this is what's happening. Uh, if we if we describe religion as a way to get rich then how can we describe uh, how can we describe then the religious experience how can we describe humility if humility is described as a way to become successful interesting twist just a question that's all uh, and so in the end uh, the language will will mean very little uh, and in fact it's already rapidly getting to the point where it, where it really doesn't uh, contain uh, much in the way of a message. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm always uh, impressed by the number of people, for example, who will, uh, not necessarily my program, I'm just talking about programs in general, who whenever an opinion is expressed on the air that is diametrically opposed or even deviates slightly from their opinion, will immediately uh, get in touch with the radio station and say that whoever that is on there is not a good American. In short, in the guise of Americanism, he wants to destroy the very thing that makes America unique. And that is 
the allowance of deviating opinions in the midst of a majority. And yet, uh, he will do it in the, in the light of being an American, always being an American. You know, that's another interesting thing. Free speech is a fascinating problem. And, uh, and it's a problem that, that uh, has never really uh, been solved. Because whenever we think of free speech, we like to think of free speech for people we like. Minorities that we are sympathetic to. Uh, we like to think of free speech for us. You know, everybody thinks he's a minority. You know that, don't you? Uh, every, every, every possible group believes that it is an embattled minority. Uh, the, 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 uh, if you're a rock-bound Republican, you feel you're a minority. If you are a, uh, a rock-bound Democrat, you also feel you're a minority. You do. I've never known anybody who said, of course, I'm uh, in the majority, so uh, naturally I feel thus and so. Everybody I've ever talked to in my life feels he's in the minority. Well, when, when we talk about free speech and, and minorities being allowed to speak, we always think of ourselves and our favorite minority groups. But then it really bothers us when the other minority groups, whom we obviously do not like at all, the rotten ones, take it up and they start speaking too. That's very, very difficult. And, and in fact, at that point, we say there's a big difference between free speech and license. <laughs> very intriguing. It, it goes on and on and on. Uh, this, this was part, of course, of the Orwellian concept of the way man was drifting, and I suspect in the end that we will drift that way. I don't see how there's any, any real escape from it. Uh, as, the, as the population gets larger and larger and gets more, far more complex and more uh, homogenous, really, in a sense. But one, one of the intriguing things that I noticed the other day was, was an ad that I ran across in the magazine. Uh, when I say intriguing, I'm just merely saying that it, it stuck out. It hit me in the, in the face as, a, as an example of the new use of language. Uh, it was an ad. And the ad was for a soft drink. And the soft drink said, uh, the ad said, for those, <clears throat> for those who think young, uh, drink this drink. Well, that's an interesting uh, thing to say. Uh... For those who think young, what, what does that mean? Does that mean for those who are, who are cretins? Who, like, say, are 38 years old and are, like, 12 inside? Is that what they mean? Or, or, or what, what, what possibly do they mean by this, you see? And then the entire body of the copy went like this. Yes, while you are going about your modern active life, what in the world is a modern active life? While you are carrying out your modern activities, they went on to say. Well, well, the word modern there is subverted, you see, because any activity that is done in any given time is a modern activity. If you are a 20th century man doing something in the 20th century, you are doing a 20th century activity, even if you're making a buggy whip. That's a modern buggy whip. I'm sorry, Pepsi, I'm sorry. So, so uh, the term modern has come to mean good. You see, what they mean is exciting, good. Well, now, it's interesting to note that, uh, that if you are going to define contemporary things, then I must say that Mr. Khrushchev is also modern. You see, he's, he's involved in his exciting modern life. You know, like, like banging his shoe on the table there. That's a modern activity. Well, uh, so, so, so you, wind up, you wind up wondering where, which, which direction the language is going. Uh, until finally, uh, the language really, in a sense, has very little meaning. Uh, I've, I've read many a novel within the last six or seven years, 
And I've been really hard-pressed to, to understand, really in the, in the sense of, of true understanding, what precisely was the man taught. And it has nothing to do with avant-gardism nor impressionism. In short, one man's, uh, one man's uh, modern is another man's what? One man's love is another man's hate, literally. One man's uh, beauty is another man's ugliness. Uh, one man's dynamic religious concept is another man's scheme to make dough. And so, you know, you, you wonder which way you're going. It's, it's an intriguing thing. Of course, uh, when, when, when we get to the point where, uh, where religion is used as a tool, there was an article recently in one of the big national magazines entitled, Get the Most Out of Church. Oh, no, no, that's true. Uh, I would like to give you a, uh, a quotation from Isaiah 353. I will read it to you. Strengthen the weak hands, people, and make the knees that are wobbling firm. Well, uh, <laughs> and make dough, apparently, uh, is, is the way it's being interpreted. Now, uh, I... Uh, I've heard all kinds of forensic tricks being used. I heard a guy the other day being interviewed on the air, on this station, by the way. And he was being interviewed. Oh, yeah, you got that little whoopee thing in there? Well, go ahead, hit it. 